1: Hello, guys, this is the Talking of Draft Podcast. I'm your host, Connor Livesey, joined by my co-host today, Joey Ikes. Joey, we're eight days away.
2: Um it's it's practically here. Are you ready for it? I um I, I like to think that I am. I know that we're gonna get to the point, you know, in uh late day two to day three where uh, there's gonna be names called and I'm gonna not know what that is whenever they call it, but uh but that's okay. That's part of that's part of the deal. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I'm excited. Um, you know, this is, even though the Cowboys made some more significant moves in veteran talent acquisition this year, this is still, this is the time that the Cowboys really improve their team on a year to year basis. And, uh, and so it's, it's going to be fun to see what direction they go, um, as we, as we get closer to it.
1: Yeah. I'm at the point right now where, I'm pretty much all finished with my draft. Got it. it, I'm putting it out tomorrow, um, but I'm just cramming the last few, trying to get some few more reports in just to fill it out a little bit. So I'm trying to get that worked on today, early tomorrow. Then I'll get it all PDF downloaded and ready to go. But I'm at that point in it where every year, and this is the first year I'm doing it, I get asked to include pro comps for every player. And there's not a chance in hell I'm doing it for every player because I, can't stand comparing college players, NFL players, but I'm going through with some that kind of like just stick out to me and putting those in now on some of the reports. And I'm uh, not ready for it to be over, but I'm ready to finish this part of it.
2: <laughs> yep I'm, I'm sort of with you. There becomes this almost preparation fatigue because it, it doesn't get, you know when you, when you work for an NFL team, like you're building towards this day and this event and you're actually the one making the decision. So you really have to prepare for all of these scenarios. Right. And, and with, with us, there's less, there's less for us to do in, you know, January and February and March uh, than these teams have. So we get to April and we've run, you know, a thousand mock draft scenarios and we have a really good feel for what the consensus is on where guys are going to go and all that. And that, the teams are just now getting to that point where they're doing all that. So this next, you know, five, seven days worth of work for those guys leading up to next week is, you know, they're going to be in eight, 10 hour days worth of meetings of just over and over going through the players, going through scenarios, running mock drafts, stacking the board, all that kind of stuff um and so it, we, we reached that preparation fatigue just as they're sort of really starting to ramp up their final preparations yeah no
1: no it's uh it's fun it's a fun process but man I, I say it every year like by no me like I'm gonna say this halfway tongue-in-cheek but teams have it so much easier than people who like I mean I, I don't do it as much as the Dane Bruglers who put in you know years worth of time but like the five months out of the year that I just go into draft stuff like teams have it easier because like their their boards aren't you know two hundred and twenty five players deep. A lot of times they stack a board at 150, you know, something like that. And, you know, they can they can rule out players that don't fit the scheme. Like they can rule out players that don't fit their culture. And it's like for the Danes and people who do it like this and, and me to a certain extent, it's like I gotta go through, you know, try to get through as many guys as possible and like even I think I think it was Dane that said this on a podcast the other day and I, I couldn't agree more like there's guys that like I can't stand or like don't not I shouldn't say can't stand but don't like on tape whatsoever but like still have to put them in a ranking still have to put them in my grading scale still have to give them a ranking and maybe a scouting report and it's like some you know teams would just be like yep guy doesn't fit our arm length metric you know we're, we're out on him <laughs> so yep,
2: it's like absolutely they,
1: they they obviously put in a lot more work than us, but man, like they like compiling all this stuff's a little bit more easier for those guys. Cause it, it's a smaller list
2: of guys to, to do it with. Yeah. It's one of those things that they guys like you, I have so much respect for the process for guys like you and Dane and even like Brian Broaddus and, and these guys, you guys who study, you know, 200 players a year, 250, you know, Dane probably does 400 something oh, players a year. Yeah. Um, and, like, assign legitimate, like, this is the grading scale and go through that process because uh, I don't have the, you know, the time, the patience probably to go through that process in that much detail. So I have a ton of respect for for guys like you who do that. Um, but, like, you guys are essentially trying to replicate what a 15-person staff is doing <laughs> for an NFL team. <laughs> and on top of that, there is there are scouting services made up of scouts from multiple teams that put, put out advanced grades. So like yeah. g- going into training camp of next year, these teams are each subscribed to one of these scouting services. And you know this, but this is for listeners, right? Is They're, they're subscribed to one of these scouting services. They'll show up to camp next year and they will have, advanced scouting reports on maybe every draft eligible player in college football next year already. So they're starting like way out in front. So you guys, you guys go to this really wide breadth of let's try to get to as many players as we possibly can. The NFL teams go a way more narrow breadth. Like you said, they don't have 300 players on their board. They've got 150 or 200 or whatever, but they're going like neck deep into every single one of these guys. And that's yeah. the thing that's impressive about what Dane does is Dane really does yes. both. Like he hit 400 players Psycho. and we'll tell you, yeah. And we'll tell you about his twin sister who was yep. a track star at whatever school that she went to and how that speed translates through the whole family and how his little brother is going to come up and be a better player than him. <laughs> who's in eighth grade. And like, that's that's what's so remarkable about Dane and why he gets so much respect from guys like us and guys inside the league and all that other kind of stuff. It's just the the and it's why his draft guide is called the beast, right? Is yeah. because it's it's just remarkable how much is in there. But like I said, I, I don't envy you guys who who go through that process of of really, you know, truly stacking a big board and putting all that stuff together. That is a that's a, a load of work, especially without the benefits, like you said, of having real life thresholds that you can just toss a guy off the board because he doesn't meet the thresholds athletically, measurably, whatever, or scheme fit or, you know, whatever um, you guys really have to hit them all. And it's, uh, it's impressive for sure. So, so kudos to you on getting, getting to the finish line here uh, with about a week to go.
1: Can't wait. Can't wait. But uh, let's talk about some. Uh, so we're going to go through today. Um, there's been quite a few recent mock drafts from some bigger name media people, Dane Bruegler included, we're going to pick through kind of five or six of these guys and look at the Cowboys um, spending most of the time on the first round picks, but a few of these are a couple rounds deep. So we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit, but we're just trying to look for some signs here of, of what way this team might be leaning early in the draft. Um, and I, mean, I think it's important. We, we've mentioned this a few times throughout this process is fans might get frustrated with the Mel Kuypers and the Todd McShays and, the Charles Davises and, you know, the bigger name media people who've been doing this for a long time. Cause they feel like, okay, these guys aren't, you know, doing the work that maybe a guy like Dane is anymore, but to a certain extent, they know what they're talking about because they're getting this information fed to them by teams, by scouts, by front office members, by agents who were close with teams. And, um, they, give them that information because they work for the NFL networks, the ESPNs, the athletics, the the ringers and stuff like that. And they're, they're big name guys for a reason. Um, and I think it's important to kind of pay attention to what some of these people are doing this time of year, because they normally have an idea of what these teams are looking at doing. Um, they have good relationships with a lot of these teams, these general managers, these owners, these scouts, and the information they're getting is, more than likely probably very close to the, the way these teams are feeling. So we wanted to kind of go through, like I said, five or six of these recent mock drafts and look at maybe the consistencies from each you know evaluator and each analyst and see which way uh, they're kind of leaning. So we figured we'd start with the man of the hour, and that that is Dane Brugler, a guy who um, is, if not the number one, most respected draft analyst uh in the you know around right now he he's near the top um the amount of work and time he puts into his 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 effort is is tremendous. so figured we'd start with him. Um, he released a three round mock draft earlier this week um and with the 26th overall pick he has the Dallas Cowboys taking a popular name Michael Mayer, the Notre Dame tight end. Um, and again, I think that's a name that two, three, four weeks ago, people just kind of moaned at when they heard. But we're seeing that name pop up more and more. And I do think it's a, a real possibility that he is one of the top picks uh, of consideration with that 26th overall pick. So, Joey, what's your what's your thoughts? on I know we talked about the tight end and being drafted in that position early a lot this offseason. Uh, but as we get closer to the draft, uh, what, what are you thinking about? Michael Mayer, the tight end out of Notre Dame, and maybe just a little bit more on the tight end position in general uh, at twenty six.
2: Yeah, I think that you know if you if you're gonna pick a tight end high, in my opinion, they've got to have some sort of special trait, right? Because the generic tight end, right the but I, I joked about this with some with some buddies earlier this week. Like if we call him Jake Ferguson, right? Like that's the that's the generic tight end, the six foot four, two hundred and forty five, two hundred and fifty pound tight end, who you know runs four seven four eight, and you know does well against zone coverage and can get some yards after the catch, but isn't super dynamic that way. Um, you you got to be special. You got to separate yourself from that in some way or multiple ways if you want to be worth a first round pick because you can find that generic guy pretty much anywhere. Undrafted free agency, fourth round of the draft takes two or three years to develop those guys, but you can turn them into real life productive tight NFL tight ends. Um, especially the Cowboys have a very good tight end coach, et cetera. Um, but one of the things that has happened and we'll get to this as we continue to go through this and it happens seemingly every year with the Cowboys um, say what you will about what that means about their process and the team and all that kind of stuff. Um, there starts to be a consensus that gets built across a lot of these guys. Um, that you you see a name pop up once and then all of a sudden it comes back and it's there in a lot of these. And for the Cowboys, it's very easy to plug a tight end at 26 because a lot of a lot of folks would say, hey, the left guard is the biggest need on this Cowboys team they don't really have a starting left guard. I would argue that they have multiple left guard options on their team that could start week one if they absolutely needed to already. Um, Some people would say Dalton Schultz left in free agency. The Cowboys don't have a tight end who can be a tight end one right now. Um, There are those who would disagree with that regarding Jake Ferguson and all that kind of stuff. Um, What's your thoughts on that?
1: Where are you at with the Cowboys tight ends right now?
2: I think that, you know, I joked, I, I called the generic tight end Jake fergus Ferguson. Like, I think you could get 55 catches for 650 yards and five touchdowns out of Jake Ferguson if he was a full time tight end. Because I think you could plug anybody who is six foot four and 245 or 250 pounds into an NFL offense, and they're going to see enough zone coverage that they're going to catch 60 balls for 550 to 600 yards and five touchdowns in a year. Um, because that's the primary role of of tight ends is to catch balls against zone coverage because zone coverages are designed to force the ball underneath and in the middle of the field, which is exactly where tight ends play. So there's a lot of zone coverage being played in the league right now. Um, so in general, I think that he would be fine as a tight end one. I don't think you necessarily need to, I don't think you need to try to upgrade, like you don't need to be desperate to upgrade from Jake Ferguson, but I think if you feel like there's a chance to have a real legitimate upgrade from him, then you should take it. Um, I, I have a hard time with Mayer, and you know, Kincaid was the guy early in the process we saw in this position a lot just because I don't feel like those guys are all that different from Jake Ferguson, they're just a year younger and you know, have bigger hype around their name. Um, but like, I, I I joke the the generic tight end is 6'4", 250, and runs four seven or four eight. Those are Michael Mayer's precise measurements: six wow. foot four, two hundred and forty nine pounds, ran four seven. And so, like, I think he is a relatively generic. I don't think he's special as a tight end. I, I agree.
1: Um, I agree. I think. I think the the word. I think the word use you, you kept using generic fits pretty, pretty easily. I mean, in, in and I think in the same sense, like that's not to say he's not a good player because he is like, he might be, he might not make the highlight real type of plays, but like, he's going to be a consistent guy for you. He can block, he can catch, he can kind of make plays in all three levels. So I think, I think you kind of nailed it w- with that word generic, which is, I mean, I haven't used that and haven't really heard it a lot this off season. You know, you kind of hear just, you know, the the solid, steady-as-you-go type of guy. But generic, I think, is a, a really good word to
2: use to describe his game. Yeah, it's one of those things that, like, he will probably come in and within the first couple of years of his career, especially if he comes to Dallas, he'll be the 10th best tight end in the league. Yeah. But you just had a guy who was one of that, uh, approximately that level of tight end in the league that you spent a fourth-round pick on. And... There are, I mean, this tight end class is very deep. We can talk about it. We've talked about these tight ends a lot. There's a kid from Michigan you can get in the third round who's probably this year might not be quite as good as Michael Mayer, but year two, year three, probably not that much different than Michael Mayer because I don't think there's I don't think there's big upside with a Michael Mayer pick. And there are some positions where it's like, you know what, steady and solid and dependable are exactly what you want you know, offensive line, safety, cornerback, even safe, reliable, just does this job. Every play is exactly what you're looking for. But I think between the veteran free agent market and, you know, the mid to late rounds of the draft, you can get that generic solid, steady, reliable tight end in a lot of places. And you don't have to spend the 26th overall pick on him just because he went to Notre Dame.
1: All right. So, real quick so also in some of these um drafts we're looking at Danny Kelly from the Ringer also had Dallas taking Michael Mayer at 26 overall and then Charles Davis with nfl.com had the Dallas Cowboys taking Michael Mayer at 26th overall um real quick i do, i do want to touch on this real quick i do think that if 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 i had to guess and i i you know Again, we, we've gone through this a few times this year where I'm like, yeah, hey, I heard this or hear that. I, I haven't heard this yet, so this is more of a guess. I do think if Dalton Kincaid is there at 26 overall, they will pick him over Michael Mayer. Um, and I would like to bring up that in Dane's draft, Dalton Kincaid went 21 to, char- to the Chargers. Um, in Daniel Kelly's draft, he went... 28 to the Bengals. Uh, this is Dalton Kincaid. And then in Charles Davis's draft, he went 15th to the Packers. So only Danny Kelly passed on Dalton Kincaid for Michael Mayer for the Cowboys. But that's just kind of I, I, – I think that if they had to pick in between the two, I think they'd probably lean Dalton Kincaid right now Um, just because I think they do, which this is a little off script from where we've seen, but I think they do – look at the value of Kincaid as a receiving threat a little bit higher than um, Mayer, and I think that that might be why they have a little bit more value with him. Um, But yeah, I mean, I just want to kind of give everybody a look. You know, Michael Mayer was the first tight end off the board in two of of the three of the drafts where Mayer...
2: You also like to remember the Cowboys generally throughout their history with, with Will McClay running the draft, they like to pick guys who are the best player at their position on their board. Right. Um, And a lot of times they're picking in the mid to late parts of the draft, which means they're picking linebackers and spinners and tight ends and things like that um, to try to get that best player at their position in the first round. Um, And, most people have Michael Mayer as the top graded tight end. A lot of people do at least. Um, so a pick of him at 26 from a consensus board sta- sta- uh, standpoint and that way, that way of looking at it definitely makes sense, even though, you know, you could argue the game theory idea of tight end is very deep in this draft. So why do I want to be the first one to take a tight end? When I can be the fourth one to take a tight end and the guy I'm getting is not that much different than the first guy. But that's a that's a, a different conversation that I don't think this team looks at it quite that way in most situations.
1: Yeah, no, I I, I agree. Um, I, I think, you know, kind of the theme we're looking for here, you know, that consistency we're looking for here. But if you're playing around on these simulators or you're trying to get an idea of where Dallas is going to go in the top 100 in this draft and you don't have a tight end in that first 3 or 4 rounds you're probably doing this wrong is is what is that's the that's the telltale I'm getting is that they're telling people they're talking to these you know bigger league sources and saying we're we're targeting a tight end relatively early in this draft class wouldn't you agree yeah i think so for
2: sure and like i said there's some of it for some people, is going to just be, oh, Dalton Schultz leaves. They need tight end. Pick tight end, right? And that happened with, you know, they thought uh, people thought they were going to pick Dallas Goddard in the 2018 draft, right after Jason Witten retired. They didn't. They waited a little bit and picked Dalton Schultz. But it, you know, some of that is is putting tea leaves together, and other of others of that is, and, and even like. Both Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay both had Michael Mayer to the Cowboys in their most recent mock drafts, which came out within the last couple weeks. So there is definitely a drumbeat and a consensus building here that Michael Mayer is a guy that they really like a lot. And even you know Kuyper and McShay did a joint one. They picked Sam Laporta in the second round because they didn't pick a, a tight end in the first round. Yeah. So there's been like there's
1: been some I've I've noticed recently too um in some of these drafts where a guy like Luke Musgraves is falling a little bit, kind of getting close to you at uh fifty eight there. So, you know, tight end out of Oregon State. So if the, you know they do go into your offensive line or best player available, whoever that be, um, at twenty six, there's a chance that you know a Sam Laporta, Luke Musgrave is is an option for you there um at fifty eight. That a lot of people, man. I don't know if, have you, have you spent much time watching? I know we're getting a little off track here, but have you spent much time watching Tucker craft yet?
2: I have not. That's one of those guys I need to get to between now and then, like with all this talk about top 100 tight ends, um, I got to try to get myself through all of these, as many of these guys to try to be prepared.
1: Yeah. I mean, he's, he's very similar to a guy like Sam Laporta where like, he's not a, he's a willing blocker, but he's not a good blocker right now. Um, but he's big, he's athletic, he's long. Um, but man, like, you know, Dane, I think Dane has him going 56 to the Jaguars. Um, and that's just that just seems rich for me. Like I said, like Crafts, a guy that like if if you go two other positions round one and two, and you have to, you know, maybe either take him at 90 or maybe even trade up a little bit for for him to make sure you land your, your competition for Ferguson and Hendershot, like I'd I'd value him in the third round, but he seems to be catching a little bit of hype you know, heading into draft week here. And, you know, again, like we talk about Sam Laporta at 50, 58, like we, we need to start mentioning, um, Tucker Craft's name. Cause it seems like he's, he's diving up draft boards a little bit.
2: Yep. I think you're a, uh, I think you've got that one nailed for sure. And, uh, and like I said, I think we are, One of the things about this time of year is everybody calls it smoke season or silly season and all that kind of stuff. And we're we're fortunate enough that we um that there's a really good track record of the Cowboys this type of stuff coming up for the Cowboys right. and it following through. And it coming, you know, we were talking about Leighton Vanderesh as the Cowboys pick in February in twenty eighteen. <laughs> Like, it was ridiculous how early it came out that that was the guy. And the same thing with, like, with Tristan Hill in, like, March. And that was the 58th overall pick. That was the second round of the draft or something. 50th overall or something like that in the second round of the draft. Like, it was very clear, very early, who they liked in a couple of those drafts. And, you know, Tyler Smith popped up on Mel Kuyper's mock draft about this time last year and winds up being the pick, you know, lots of those things have happened over the course of the last few years for the Cowboys um, that unless something changes in terms of the way the draft falls, um, I think we can, we can really start to anticipate and start to believe, you know, and start to maybe wrap our minds around a little bit. The idea that Michael Mayer has a pretty darn good chance of being the pick at twenty six. And if it's not him, then there's a chance that it's another tight end there like Dalton Kincaid um, or that they're looking at that second-round pick probably as the spot where they land a tight end. We know they've looked in that direction before.
1: Sure, sure. All right, well, let's, let's move on. So we kind of covered the three drafts that had Dallas taking a tight end there uh, in the first round, um, all of those being Michael Mayer. Uh, Todd McShay and Mel Kuyper did a joint mock draft, a three-round mock draft, so we'll go through that next um mcshay had the first pick for dallas todd mcshay and he picked quentin johnson wide receiver uh out of tcu um with the second round pick uh for dallas at 58th overall um todd mcshay again picked sam laporta we kind of just touched on that uh the tight end out of iowa and then their third round pick at 90th overall um todd mcshay picked uh, keandre miller the tcu running back um with the 90th overall pick so they went all offense there in the with the first second third round pick two guys out of TCU and then Sam Laporta out of Iowa Um, let's touch on that one a little bit too again like I think the theme we're looking at here is that while it wouldn't really shock us if they went defense in the top 100 I think based on what they did this offseason and what they have for positions of need and maybe some some best player available look at uh, look ahead's coming soon is this could be a you know I don't know if it's going to be wide receiver tight end, running back but it could be tight end running back offensive line it could be tight end wide receiver offensive line then running back so I, I think with that 26 58 90th overall pick there's a really really good chance that those first three picks could be all offense what positions they are between tight end, running back, wide receiver, and offensive line, I think still kind of to be determined. But I think that if I had to put some 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 money on that happening, I, I'd bet on it being a pretty high likelihood that those first three top 100 picks are all going to be uh, on the offensive side of the football.
2: Yeah, I think you're right. And I think it what it does is it points to the idea and the trend and the belief that this Cowboys team needs um, – an injection of playmaking talent on the offensive side of the ball. And so that's where, you know, Kuyper and McShay go here. They go big wide receiver uh, who, you know, didn't run as fast as we hoped he would, didn't come out as the athlete that we hoped he would that, you know, when you think about drafting a guy like that in the top 15 picks, like we talked about early in the process, we were thinking big, extremely athletic, Uh, guy that makes up for some of the drop concerns and things like that, because he's just going to be so dynamic. Um, Some of that luster has fallen off as the athletic testing has come back as, as not so not outstanding in a great way uh, for Johnson. And that's why he winds up available for the Cowboys at 26 here. Uh, And then Sam LaPorta, we had that conversation. And then Kendra Miller is, we've talked about Kendra Miller here before too, just a really, really good running back out of TCU that you throw those three young playmakers in this Cowboys offense and you take those three guys, add them to C.D. Lamb, and that's your playmaking core for the next, you know, three, four years, that's something you can work with in an offense around Dak Prescott uh, for a long time. Uh, offensive line is always an option with this team early in the draft, uh, first, second, or third round. So I think you're right that at least two of two out of the three picks are going to be offense I wouldn't be surprised if two out of the three are p- offensive playmakers, um, and I also wouldn't be shocked, like you said, if all three go to offense. Um, and I think it really could go in any order, in any um, any breakup of those three positions that you could imagine. Um, even as much as we hate it and don't believe that they would, there's always, you know, they could take a running back in the first round. They've shown us that plenty of times before. Yep.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's that kind of leads us to the one of the next spots, and that's Peter Schrager with uh NFL.com. He has the Cowboys taking Jamar uh, Jameer Gibbs, the Alabama running back, with the 26th overall pick. And um, obviously, I'll just kind of put it out there out front that Bijan Robinson had gone in that draft 10th to the Eagles, so the Cowboys come with the 26th overall pick and draft the second running back in that draft class. and. While I'm a big fan of Jameer Gibbs, this would
2: make me very not happy. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things that, like, it, it's not the ideal use. It It almost feels a lot like tight end to me. Yeah. Is that, like, it's not the ideal use of a first-round pick. You can get a guy. The difference with running back and tight end is that your guy that you pick in the third round, for example, Kendra Miller that Kuiper McShay picked for the Cowboys in the third round, is probably not that much different as a rookie even than Jameer Gibbs is in terms of what production he's going to give you on a down-in and down-out basis. Um, there is a little bit of difference in year one between a, a tight end in the first round and a tight end in the fourth round, although not very much because tight ends in the first round don't typically put up big numbers in their first year in, either. So you're you're looking more three years down the road with a tight end versus uh, you can really get that, rookie produ- that high-end rookie production In the third, fourth round, um, which really feels like the sweet spot in this draft for running backs. But Jameer Gibbs is, you know, he's a, a home run threat as a running back that if, you know, you look at Mike McCarthy and say, okay, in the past, he's had two running backs. He's liked running backs that can create big plays. And he's liked running backs who can be part of the passing game. Like, okay, Jameer Gibbs fits all of those things. And the Cowboys will not hesitate to value a running back very highly in the draft. And so it. It would not surprise me, even though it would disappoint me because it's, you know, not ideal use of the pick and resource allocations and all those sorts of things. It would not shock me or surprise me um, at all. And I, you know, I probably wouldn't throw a Twitter rant or anything like that if they did this, even though, like, you know, I don't want them to do this. Like, this doesn't make any sense for them from a team building standpoint or what they want to be short, medium or long term. But he's a really good player and if they pick him at 26 if they if they really believe Mike McCarthy will put two running backs to use and will use him and Tony Pollard great now you add a 4 million dollar first round pick contract with the Tony Pollard tag and the dead money from Ezekiel Elliott and you're talking about some insane amount of money you're spending on running backs um in the 2023 NFL which is a whole different conversation but He's a really good football player and he will make plays for the Cowboys when they give him the ball, if, if he's the pick. And that's sort of, <laughs> you know, that's sort of the point we have to resign ourselves to this, the same conversation with B John Robinson is that he's really good. And if they pick him, he's going to make plays and, you know, it's not the right way to do it. There's plenty of data that shows that there's enough information to know that, but if they decide they're going to go against that convention, they're going to get a good football player and he's going to make plays. And even if it's, you know, even if it's not the right move, they will probably initially at least feel really smart when Jameer Gibbs breaks a 45-yard touchdown run (laughs) in week one of the NFL season and everybody feels really great about that pick. Uh, They'll feel really good about it then. It's about whether they feel really good about it in 2025 or something like that.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Um, Yeah, I think – honestly, I think that that with Gibbs – And, I mean, let's just include B. John Robinson in that conversation. Like, if if either one of those guys are drafted at 26, you're kind of like, damn, I don't know if I would have done that. You know, like, I feel like we probably could have found a a better use of our resources there, but both of these guys are really good players, and it's not the – I'm trying to – I mean, because, like – I mean, even at the time, I feel like people didn't, like, absolutely hate the Ezekiel Elliott pit because back then it wasn't – we weren't with the running back position quite yet where we are now, where it was like, it's just that devalued. But what, for me, it's, I, I guess, the easiest pick to compare it to. It wasn't like the Tristan Hill pick where I was just like, I just don't think this guy's very good. Like, I don't think he's a difference maker in any sort of way. And I know that's the difference between first and second round, but I guess that's kind of my my point that I'm getting at is it's 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 not what I would do and not what I prefer them to do. But at the same time, it's kind of like, dude can play ball and he's going to help your team. So while I might've gone a different direction, I don't hate it. I guess that's where I'm at with it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And especially, you know, there's a lot of conversation this year about, you know, the draft is basically flat from 20 to 60, Right. right? And so you're picking at 26. If you're picking similar levels of players at 26, 58, and then a little bit of a step down at 90, Um, if you pick a running back in the first round and a tight end in this, let's say they do, they did Jameer Gibbs and Sam Laporta. Is that that much better or that much worse than Michael Mayer and insert your, and you know, Zach Charbonnet from UCLA. Like, I don't think that's, that's not very much different than that. And part of that is because the tight end you're getting in the second round isn't that much different than the tight end you're getting in the first round. Just like the reverse is true at running back. So when it comes to sequencing with the running back, I don't I – cl- I clearly don't love the idea, but at least there are running backs this year who are really good players, right? Okay. B. John Robinson is really good. Jameer Gibbs is really good. Zach Charbonnet is really good. You know, Devon A. Chain is really good. And that's – you know, I could keep naming these guys who are really good running backs that um, – but at least like we, we both said it, and I think it boils it down, you're getting a really good player either way
1: yep um all right so the last one we really have to touch on is pff did a i guess it's more of an analytical mock draft is the way they labeled it um today that came out today and they are the only website or only analyst whatever you want to call it that does not pick an offensive player and not 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 to be mean to our friends over pff but i I we've talked about this a little bit. They have the Cowboys taking Kalaja Cancy, the Pittsburgh defensive lineman with 26 overall pick. I just I think Cancy's one of those guys that they're gonna be just a lot lower on than other teams because of how much they value that arm length at that position. Um so I can't see Cancy even being of consideration at 26. Like, I mean, obviously he's not gonna make it to 58, but they might they would like maybe consider him at a later pick or if they had, you know, an earlier second round pick consider that. But I just, I don't think Canty fits really what they look for in their, their defensive line prototypes. And um, I mean, I think if anything, if they were to go defensive line, I think it would be a Mozzie Smith because of the, the traits that he possesses and Canty has good explosion and agility traits, but his size and length is something that just would be different from what they normally go after at that position.
2: Yeah, I think that sort of goes back to our conversation at the very beginning of today's show, right, is that these teams get to be way more picky about who even goes on their board. And Kalijah Kansi is a really good football player, and he's going to go to somewhere and he's going to be a really good football player. Um, And there's a chance that Dan Quinn, who Dan Quinn has not run from the smaller defensive linemen quite as much as the Cowboys have, but... We know Will McClay is a a size and length. Uh, you know the 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 slang term would be that he's a size queen a little bit, and <laughs> that um, he likes. And he's even he's said this out loud. He likes big football players. Yep, it, it's just like he likes football players from big schools because it's it's easier to translate a guy being really good at, you know, Georgia to being really good in the NFL than it is to take a guy at South Alabama and say he's going to be really good in the NFL. And so um, it's also really easy to take a really big football player and say he's going to be able to hold his own inside on the defensive line. Yep. It's a lot easier to do that than to take a six foot, 200 and you know, 90 or 285-pound guy and say he's going to be able to hold up on the inside. Um and the comps to Aaron Donald are there for a lot of reasons. Uh probably not a lot of them are very fair to Kliija, <laughs> but um but he he's gonna be really good somewhere wherever he goes. I just like I'm sort of like you in that as much fun as it is to picture him inside next to DeMarcus Lawrence with Sam Williams and Micah Parsons rushing outside on third and eight against Jalen Hurts in the fourth quarter of a game when the Cowboys defense is trying to ice the game, um, I just don't see them going that route, even though, you know, it's something I might not would be as scared of as they are. Uh, I totally understand and see the the value in having those size thresholds and things like that, that I'm that I'm certain that they do.
1: Yep, I agree. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we, we kind of want to come on today. There's been so many of these that, you know, the week of the draft, the, the week leading up to the draft, we see a lot of these um, come out and we see a lot of these, you know, start to filter in. And this is normally when you kind of get an idea of where people, you know, these these mainstream media, you know, talking heads are, are getting their information from. Um, so we want to kind of, kind of come on here and see if there are any themes involved in these. And I think we kind of came up with them that we feel like this is going to be a pretty offensive heavy draft. And I think defensively, you're, they're going to look to probably, you know, PFF gave, gave us some some ideas that they're probably going to be looking. I mean, it's no secret what positions they're going to be targeting. It's just kind of, we've seen the mocks where, you know, Mozzie Smith or Kalaji Kansi or Emmanuel Ford, like we've seen the corner defensive tackle, some edge. We've seen those show up at times. Um, I mean, Mozzie Smith's been a popular pick for this team for a while now, but I, I just think – eight days out and what some of these bigger name media guys who are going to be in the know a little bit are starting to say, I think you can, you can probably get a, a really solid idea that, you know, unless it's a situation where Kincaid and Mayer both go at 26 tight is going to be in, in my opinion of one of the top two positions that they'd like to target there with that 26
2: overall pick. Yeah, I'm absolutely with you in that. They they clearly see value in having that kind of tight end, and they are they were willing to spend 11 million dollars to have it in Dalton Schultz last year, and they seem very willing to at least based on, you know what we're hearing and you know what Stephen Jones said in the very the very first position he addressed when it came to the draft when he was on 105.3 The Fan recently was the tight end position. Now that doesn't necessarily mean anything. But it also doesn't necessarily not mean anything. So I think you're, I think you're right. Tight end is going to be t- targeted high in this draft for the Cowboys, and it's a really good tight end class. So they're probably going to get a good player out of it. It's just a matter of, of whether that fits all of the the right sequencing and strategy and all that kind of stuff that also comes along with the draft. Uh, but like we said with Gibbs, they're gonna, when you boil it down, they're gonna get a pretty good football player, and and um, hopefully he's good enough to make a difference.
1: Yep, I agree. Um, Well, cool, man. We have one show left before the draft. And then, like I said, we'll kind of cover some things uh, post-drafts as well. But we want to come on here today, look at some of the themes and some of these bigger mock drafts that are coming out. And I'm sure there will be more coming out here in the next week or so. Um, But, yeah, we'll be back the day before the draft. I'm excited that our show's on Wednesday because we can really set this draft up for you guys, uh, give you a good pre-draft primer. And um, we're pumped. I might try to see if we can get – a prospect on with us on Wednesday, just it's always cool to talk to those guys kind of the day before the weekend of uh, the draft. Cause they're, they're kind of riding that uh, emotional uh, roller coaster as far as, you know, having some emotional highs and it's always cool to talk to them and, and, and get some of their thoughts and views on things. So we, uh, we will look to do that next week. We have one show left for you guys before the draft. We'll be back afterwards to talk about it as well. We thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be back next week on the talking the draft podcast. Stay